TechCrunch's unfortunate news that it is shuttering its subscription product could lead other businesses not currently getting much value from this revenue stream to do the same. However, is it a signal of a need to adjust with the market? Or are there signs of needing to address fundamental user experience and SEO issues? In this special WordPress 7-part teardown series, Jeremy Fremont and Vahe Arabian explored TechCrunch, a tech publication covering the depth of emerging technology for millions of readers. Over to you guys. Hi, everyone, and welcome to uh, our special teardown podcast series in partnership with uh, Multidots. Uh, I'm Vahe, the founder of Sales Publishing, and I have with, with us co-hosting Jeremy Fremont. Uh, for Multiplots. Hey, Jeremy, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, pleasure to be back and excited to do a, a teardown today. What are we diving into today? Is it techcrunch.com? Yeah, that's it. You can see on our screen. So uh, we, we're we looking at pretty much TechCrunch, which is the darling of the tech news space. And um, not only looking at, I mean, we're going to be looking at a few things, uh, more looking at how the infrastructures help them set up to diversify the business. Because traditionally, they were an event business, They've used that to build their audience online, and then they've they went into subscriptions. Um, unfortunately, as of I think today, um, as the recording of today, which is the thirty first of January, uh, we heard that they are sh- uh, sh- shuttering down the uh, subscription offering. But I think there's still opportunities to look at lessons around that as well. So, Jeremy, let's yeah, let's jump into it. Let's have a look at, at how they've set up the site. But what what did you see from your end when you had a had a look at the website? Uh, the very first thing that I saw that I thought was unique directly on the homepage is how the navigation bar uh, is on the left-hand side. Uh, and that's something that's a little bit unique, right? You don't see it very often. You see more traditionally uh, along the top of the website URL. So having a, a vertical left um, side navigation bar, I thought worked out pretty well. Uh, it was pretty slick. Um, another thing that I noticed is just when you're in the process of going through and clicking on any of the various different um, articles um, or subcategories, that there is uh, a lot of consistency, um, just ease of use. If you click on security and we notice how this page loads, um, security is big and bold. So it's very clear to understand where you're at and just the structure of how everything is. And then if you click on venture or startups, just the use of how that page, I love the big, bold clarity. Um, so if somebody's diving in and they want to learn more about startups, another thing I noticed is how the TechCrunch logo um, loads anytime that you go to a brand new um, page of the site. Um, I noticed a little bit slower loading time. There should be some performance optimization opportunities that would take place um, directly on the site. Uh, And then for some reason uh, on your uh, page, it's showing some errors where there's some advertisements that are loading. Uh, But I really liked on that right-hand sidebar where the advertisements were loading when you're on an individual article. It was a nice clean way to display that without it being in intrusive directly to the user. Um, so UI, UX, uh, I really enjoyed um, both the desktop and the mobile version of how they had set up the TechCrunch site. I thought it was easy to navigate and just uh, easy to consume content. It looks like they're pushing a little bit in terms of ad density. Uh, but yeah, I guess um, yeah, I mean, it's important. I mean, one of the key things that we always advocate, and I think it's really evident here that all publishers should be looking at is the diversification of revenue streams. And the, I think it was a 2021 study from 
Reuters where it was saying that publishers were focusing on at least three or more, three to four revenue streams for their business. So yeah, I think um, maybe it might be seeming, it seems like they're pushing this more lately and um, it also pushing this a lot more lately because of the drop in potential revenue. And um, they even said in the news article today about shuttering uh, TechCrunch Plus in that they're going to be going back in into sponsors content as well. So it does seem to me that brand partnerships, particularly B2B brand content uh, creators and brand partnerships is a strong emphasis for 2024. Yeah, uh, fair point. And just so everybody's aware, um, if you happen to be listening to this, um, that plugin um, specifically for Chrome is ad density that you could download. And for TechCrunch, the ad density just looking at one of the categories uh, happened to be at 41% uh, ad density. And so ideally that target should be 30% or less. Um, that's going to be the target goal uh, for any publishers who are out there um, just to follow best practices. Exactly. Let's jump into the traffic itself. What do you reckon? Let's have. Uh, let's let's do it. Let's jump into the traffic. Let's take a look what's going on. Uh, TechCrunch yeah. is a big name. Almost everyone who's probably listened to this has heard of TechCrunch, and so let's see uh, their rankings, their traffic, and everything like that. Absolutely. So I'm um, just for everyone on, on our podcast uh, listeners, um, we're on a similar web dot com. Uh, it seems that they're getting pretty consistent traffic in terms of overall traffic. Uh, they're getting around 11 to 13 million users per month in the past three months to the end of the year. Uh, they are sort of, I would say like probably in the mid tier at the moment because there's the likes of wired.com, which is another one that we're going to be going through in the next podcast episode and Architect Technia, which is, which is a little bit ahead, but, um, I'm just curious to see as well because I saw in SEM um, Ahrefs a big drop in their organic traffic. So I'm, I'm, I'm suspecting that quite a bit of their traffic is um, coming from direct and social is probably influencing that. Uh, for yeah, just jumping over to Ahrefs now, have a look at Jeremy. Check out this traffic trend that I saw. It, it does correlate. There's there's a July was peaking at around eight million users per month estimated traffic according to um, HREVs, and then it's, it's like nosedive to 2 million. So it's, it's gone and down to a quarter of their users. I mean, there's two reasons I think for this. One reason is, yeah, I mean, it does correspond with the helpful content update that's come about in August. And there's been a big onslaught of, of that um, traffic, particularly if you're creating a lot of low value or thin content. And maybe, I mean, as much as, um, they, they were putting a lot more emphasis into uh, tech, uh, the insights and the originals were, were being hidden into the, the plus offering. Um, but from what I read, they're going to try to double down on that and make that more accessible to everyone. So I think that that would definitely see a bounce back um, in the longer term because there is there has been definitely more of a focus around that. Um, sorry, there's actually three reasons. But um, I think that the second reason that I saw was it was really a technical issue. Uh, so I was even looking at um, the schema uh, for for the articles. You, uh, for our podcast listeners, 
uh, I'm using the validator.schema.org tool and just put in a, an example of, of an article URL and it will, on the left-hand side, it will show you the code. On the right-hand side, it will show you the, the schema, schema markup, the results of that. And so when I'm actually going into the results of the scheme, news article schema, we've got four errors. Uh, and a lot of it's actually coming from not being able to detect, detect the CSS selector that's used for uh, Google and search engines reading the schema to determine whether or not there's content behind the paywall. Now, if Google, Google and such as like Google can't detect that you have a lot of your content behind the paywall, then it's going to make an assumption that you don't have much content on the page itself. And so imagine a legacy site like TechCrunch, thousands and thousands of pages, literally one mistake like that can just reduce your rankings pretty much very quickly like it did for TechCrunch. Um, That's a big so, red flag, massive, right? So great uh, investigation and uh, insight there. Yeah, it's it's something. I mean, I mean, schema in some aspects isn't as heavily weighted on for, but for payroll SEO, it's 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 essential. It makes a difference between night and day in terms of your content visibility and your traffic. Um, there's that one aspect there, and then um, basically the second one that I noticed was is more of their best practices, which I think mean you together we before we jumped on this call we both noticed as well it's more about the best practices of the url structure and how they're using that to, to update the content so um if we compare um for our podcast listeners i'm just going into the organic keywords report in um, ahrefs in, thanks no thanks Jeremy. yeah in ahrefs and um i'm looking around the time before the drops have happened and if you look at the um the change in the rankings where the ones that are dropped the most where you've got like topics that are having millions of search volume per month they've had they've even had like evergreen content pieces now if i look into the history you can see the same url um it says chat gpt everything you need to know about the ai chatbot they've literally gone through and updated that even at the point of twice per month they try to remain competitive but because of their URL structure the URL structure has the timestamp in it and so imagine every time you're changing the URL you're you're getting the article to re-index start the process of trying to rank again and because there is not that equity that's being built up because of maybe when it originally came out how other publications or other bloggers or content creators are producing the content um it's, you're going to see that rankings literally dissipate. And so, you know, we can see when there was a more, another on the screen here, uh, it's showing the um, history of the algorithm updates around October, like Google's just given up. They've changed this so many times and now it's just like barely ranking anymore for that, for the very competitive topic like ChatGPT, where they've probably even, up, I think the la latest date where they've updated it was yesterday. Just even yesterday, they updated 10, 10, 10 hours ago, and it's not, it's not, it's not. It's, there's no effect in, in that update anymore. So that was, that was pretty shock. That was pretty surprising to me, to be honest. Not to sound negative, but that was a bit surprising to me, and something that you have to be really careful of when you keep, keep um, considering refurbishing your content. And for any publishers who are out there, um, it's obviously great to refresh your content, 
But when you're refreshing your content, right, you can have two different dates on the page. And I've seen one of this being the best practices where it says originally published date. And then there is another section that is latest updated date, but that lives directly within the content of the article itself. When you're updating it, it should not adjust as far as best practices is concerned, the URL string. So in this case, the URL string happens to be techcrunch.com forward slash year, so 2024, forward slash month one, forward slash 30, the day that it would be updated, and then forward slash the actual name of the article. So if you would just remove having the date that would update every single time you would remove the updates to the article, it would shorten the URL string, it would stay consistent, and then that would be something that if you have other, let's say, internal links coming from another source, it's not going to cause a redirection, right? If you have tons of redirections that are constantly happening, when Google, Yahoo, and Bing are trying to index this, it also can cause confusion. So keeping the permalink structure consistent, understanding what that is, and doing solution architecting in order to be able to get prepared to know this is going to be the best practice and know that it's good for the long-term longevity of your content, absolutely critical. Spot on, Jeremy. And uh, I love how you take the next step with SEO, you know, me being an SEO as well, you're taking the next step. So that's, that's really awesome that you factored that in. Um, what, what else, sorry, did you notice anything from your end as well uh, uh, that you think that is, is critical in terms of their traffic and sort of what they've sort of experiencing recently? I think you you nailed a lot of those different things. Um, other things that I found when I was navigating around the site is if you scroll down, uh, a lot of publishers are experimenting with something that would be similar to infinite scroll, um, or at mm. least helping people go from one article to the next um, when you're in the process of scrolling down. So right now, as Bahe is scrolling down on the page, you've got the main article up top, and then you've got a lot of other related articles, but it takes the person to have to click on that related article to read it, right? And what we found with a lot of the publishers that we work with is once you scroll down, you can actually have another article actually already load. It would change the URL of the actual page to be in correspondent and show the user another article that's related, right? And you can do that for three, four, five articles. It doesn't have to be indefinite but then you can get more people to stay on your website longer, automatically show them another article that they might be interested in. Because the reality, if you look at the analytics, the amount of times that people are clicking on these other suggested articles usually drops, right? So if you can already help that, it'll show that people are staying on your site for longer. It'll show that people are navigating to other pages and you can set it up so that it automatically will change the URL string. So in the analytics when you're in the process of looking at it it'll be showing people going from one page to another page on your site um, so another piece um, that i noticed was an opportunity here directly for TechCrunch that they might want to consider implementing um, and it can help you know uh, in a multitude of factors yeah and you can see here right uh, with the letter the uh, inverted comments that related, related articles are showing it's not actually related articles in contextually it's actually just showing us the latest articles that they've published to get people to just visit. And um, yes, it's on one hand, it's really good that it helps with uh, re, uh, indexation and maybe getting eyeballs to the newest content. But like you said, Jeremy, 
you, we want to focus on recirculation. Google coins this term as called content recirculation, being able to have four to six related tiles or content that you can hover over and t tell them what they're going to expect when they're going to read that next article. And that's what's actually going to help drive a lot more of um, the on-site engagement and uh, the, the reader funnel in terms of getting people to become from casual readers to brand lovers to uh, to loyal to loyal readers to becoming brand lovers uh, because every time you go from casual to to the brand lovers it's actually going from the statistic was saying like from 80 percent of readers to two to, um, from two to ten percent of your readers are going to become brand loyal lovers and particularly for a subscription product uh, that's going to be the most critical uh, acquisition strategy that you have to be able to articulate and demonstrate for the USB because they will be able to uh, actually see what they're going to expect if they sign up to to uh, subscribe. So it actually there's also another statistic that they're saying that um, before it used to be like even five six years ago it used to be six pieces to actually convert. Now it's twelve pieces to actually convert. It's taking longer for people to in the B two B space to convert when they want to read their content. Um, technically, on another point as well, just a quick tangent. Um, now, also a little bit geeking out here. So I've got guys um, on my screen, a Screaming Frog, which is an SEO auditing slash crawl tool. And so it has a cool feature where you can actually render, um, you can actually emulate to see how Google Mobile, uh, the Google Mobile bot actually crawls the page. And I've, and I've got another article here that it's, it's saying Smoke VC second fund is another signal that Poland, um, it's about a VC fund about Poland is um, hitting its tech, tech scene in Stripe. Um, now I've clicked on the render tab of that result and it's emulating how Google bots seeing the page. Now you can see here how much of us on the small piece page, how the icons, a lot of that text contents there, but the icons are being more emphasized on and we can barely see any of the related articles showing up in here. So again, like, this is literally like sitting like as an orphan page where Google can't see the related articles and that can also be a potential reason why the articles are dropping off as soon as they're also ranking or even the URLs are changing because the more deeper it goes into the website, it's going to become harder to pick up um, if it's not being updated like they're, they're updating regularly. And But again, we, we see the, the challenge with the date URL structure also being impeded. So they've got to rebuild that entire functionality on, on mobile. And, and how they're rendering the page to be more SEO friendly, to be able to have these features like um, the related articles to actually become more crawlable and um, that's gonna improve the, the site architecture and internal infrastructure. Yeah, great point. And talking about mobile, uh, one of the things that I wanna start kind of talking a little bit about, if you scroll to the very top, something that's very unique on the articles that I haven't seen really too many other places. If you're at the very top, you see there's this X. There's that X that shows up. And if you click on that little X, yeah, now that it actually shows you, but it will actually show you as you are clicking on it, it'll take you back to the page, the home page or the article page. But the way that it works on mobile, I thought it was pretty unique. So if you uh, don't mind, uh, create an emulator and let's look at the site uh, directly on the mobile version. There's some things that I think that they do really good uh, that there could be some learnings um, from. So let's go ahead and take a look at how their site is rendering on mobile. It's always 100%. good to, to be looking at, you know, both mobile and 
desktop uh, just to be able to see what both look like. Cool. And now, one of the things that we'll notice is uh, something that I, I like uh, quite a bit. Uh, it's just more standard where you have the logo in the left-hand sidebar, but then you also have the hamburger menu on the right-hand sidebar. Um, I yep. think people have come to expect that. It's pretty standard. And then if we click on any of the articles whatsoever, uh, we're going to notice something that happens. That hamburger menu, it jumps over slightly. And then there is something as we scroll down, there is a circle with an X that actually appears. For some reason, it is not emulated on this. I don't know if that's not a full article. Let's try to click on a different article and see if it loads because there was no content on that one. It was, it was, for some reason, it was just redirecting me back to the homepage, but let's see what happens now. There might be an, a redirect loop, right? And that is taking place. So now it automatically is showing us that we've read the article. That's what that uh, checkbox is showing. So uh, the mm. emulator is not working um, correctly as it should, but technically that is a little X. And the cool thing about it is you X out of that X and it would take you back to the parent um, page, or it would actually show you how far you've read on the content. Um, so unique little feature that I haven't really seen that often. It automatically is just showing a gray checkbox once you've read the article and you've concluded. Um, but for some reason, it's not showing up in that emulator. Um, another thing is um, if we're clicking on the mobile menu uh, and expanding it from mobile, so if we click on the hamburger, I think that it, it, it shows itself well, right? I like the color, the slight uh, fade, um, how there's a search functionality there, and the two call to action buttons at the top. Um, I think it looks nice and clean. Um, nice UI, UX when it comes down to that hamburger menu itself. Um, so that's one of the things that I, I do think that they also have done a good job with when it comes down to their website. If we X out of that, we might be able to see at the very bottom of the screen um, something that uh, appears. So if we scroll to the very bottom of their footer, this is an area that I, I would make some adjustments to their footer um, because of the fact that it, it loads and there's a whole bunch of things on the left-hand sidebar, but on the right-hand sidebar, it's just blank. So it almost is like it's being rendered only half the page. And so it makes it a lot longer than it needs to be. You could actually stack these columns where you could actually have about and legal almost side by side. You could have all of the social icons take up the whole width of the page. So it just seems like there's a missed opportunity um, there. But one thing that's really good, I think, is if we scroll up is because you have lots of different sections of their newsletter that you can sign up and uh, subscribe to. I like how on mobile, they actually give you the options in order to be able to sign up to the newsletter right here. Um, so you have all of the different segments. And so you can easily click a button and subscribe to a particular segment of their newsletter. Um, so I think that's nice, clean, and easy, um, especially when you have a large email list that you're um, actually working with. And I've seen other websites where you have to click on one step and then go to another page and then select your options. So this is a nice, concise way to be able to do that. And if you were on the startups, if you're on a startup article at the bottom, instead of having all of these options, it's intelligent enough where now you're reading that article and it asks you to sign up to a newsletter, but it only, it doesn't give you all the options. It says, put in your email address and sign up to the startups newsletter. So it also is a nice way to kind of silo that down, um, being intelligent, understanding which part of the page you're on. So um, yeah, I think that there's a, a lot of learnings that we can have here as far as some UI UX and some things that are some improvement opportunities on mobile. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think the key thing as well is like you said, the more we can personalize a lot of this, it's going to help um, optimize the reader funnel um, in the point that uh, from mature and um, established shops are like TechCrunch, they can just more focus on the brand loyalty. And even if the um, they do experience fluctuations in search traffic or there's such fluctuations in other traffic, the fact that they've built up the email list as a result of the legacy from events to now having, you can see here how much, how much list are there now? Three, six, eight email newsletter lists. Like they can, they can get past some of the more challenging months of their traffic to be able to really keep connected with the audience. And I think that's a very powerful asset that they have that they, they can continue to use as they pivot back into broadening out their, uh, and opening up their content again. Yeah. And that's an asset that you own, right? You don't rent. So that's a very important piece. If you're a publisher, a lot of the times you are in a landscape where let's say you're buying media ads and you're driving traffic through, let's say, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Well, what happens when they actually decide to make adjustments to how much it costs to advertise in those platforms? You're at their mercy. If you're growing something like your email list, right, you own that data. That's something that you can continue to reach out and get in contact with your segmented audience and drive traffic. You have control of it. So owning versus renting, uh, a good distinction when you're in the process of thinking about the different sources of traffic and uh, what it could do to impact your business if things are outside of your control and there's adjustments um, from the powers that be. Jeremy, just one quick question on this point, particularly from the WordPress lens. You, I mean, you, you guys are the, and you're an expert on the WordPress VIP side and WordPress side. Um, what, what's it going to take for publishers when they get to the point where they're larger, they have multiple lists, how do they keep all this infrastructure um, up to date and so that it doesn't, um, it keeps the data in sync um, with their service ESP and, and doesn't also, um, you know, we see sometimes as well how a lot of different integrations like plugins and everything else is really slows on the website. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, it's always critical to be able to think about uh, how much you're actually having the impact of loading any third-party tool, right? So if you can actually implement it in a fashion where it is not going to be just an iframe embed, but you can actually more natively integrate it into your website and then connect that from when somebody subscribed to the list in the back end to let's say your CRM tool, your email marketing tool, that's always gonna be beneficial. Another thing that um, also you need to be conscious of as you're starting to grow, if you're a small publisher, you usually have smaller teams. The smaller teams wear lots of different hats. As you're continuing to grow, absolutely in the size of TechCrunch, there needs to be somebody pulsed and in charge of the email marketing content. A very common mistake that I see is people will collect email addresses, but then they don't ever reach out and get in contact with those people. They raised their hand and they said, I wanna hear from you. And then if you don't do anything to nurture that email list, it's gonna to go to waste. So um, that's a critical thing. Have different marketing roles that are gonna be in charge of managing and maintaining that email list once you are in the process of collecting it. Um, one other thing that I'll just uh, talk about there, think through as far as how much resistance you're asking for. So some of the times I've seen people ask for email newsletter signup and you ask for first name, last name, email, mother's name, first dog's name, right? Just kidding there, not all of those, but you ask for lots of different fields. What are the fields that are the most critical that you need? You can see here, the thing that they care about TechCrunch is they care about which list are you interested in and your email address. That's what's gonna take 
the least amount of resistance in order to be able to sign up. So be conscious of that as well. All fundamental advice. Don't forget to ask them about the star star sign, but that's, that's, <laughs> that, that's their loss. They're not going to ask it. That's their loss, but um, that's, that's all good. Uh, um, they could do a one, one minor uh, UI UX thing, that subscribe button. It's gray. It doesn't stick out whatsoever. Changing that to their green color, that is their branding with their UI UX. I wonder if that would change their conversion rate. Um, let's say it boosted up by one, two, three, five percent. A little easy A-B test that you can do. Um, that color of subscribe, if it is an important call to action, it's definitely not sticking out on the page. So a slight adjustment. It takes five minutes to change with CSS, if that, and you're good to go. That's true. Or even a contrast color. I've read that contrast colors as well from the palette that makes it stand out. But um, I think yeah. that's all really solid advice, Jeremy. Um, how, what, what do you think is, um, in terms of the final tips, what do you suggest um, we can uh, keep our, uh, uh, for our listeners in part with to get started in terms of a publishing business that has multiple revenue streams? How do you think they can manage it moving forward, particularly for this year? Yeah, I mean, moving forward, uh, you have to be paying attention to the pulse of what's happening. As Vahe said, uh, one of the things that's taking place with TechCrunch is they're doing layoffs, right? They're making adjustments. So if people in the larger space, those 800-pound gorillas that are farther ahead than you, if there's things that are happening that you can learn from, try to understand what are the different revenue models that are working the most effectively, right? Read reports, keep a pulse of the industry, and try to actually be proactive opposed to reactive. You don't want to try to have that same thing happen to your business. So if there's learnings that we've talked about from this podcast or from the video that you're watching, try to implement it. Just do a, a mental audit. Ask your team to do an audit. Are you making any of these same mistakes? Are there certain things that you can implement that are going to make a positive impact moving forward? And not all revenue streams are equal, right? Uh, so they're obviously deciding to shut down their premium subscription of jointechcrunch.com. I'd imagine they're going to focus more on revenue coming in directly from their advertisers, from paid sponsorship opportunities. I don't know how much um, revenue is coming from each of their streams right now, but let's say that they have very large email lists. Well, you can actually have paid sponsorship in that email newsletter. There could be multiple different placements for each of those different silos. There could be paid sponsorship for each of the different silos of venture or security. Like if I'm a security firm, I want People are interested in security, so I would advertise right there. Opposed to if I'm an AI company, that would be another advertising spot for paid sponsorship. When you have traffic in you know, millions upon millions of uniques per month, that's going to make a big impact. And I think it would, I would also be very clear with my media kit and my packet to reflect current um, data if I am changing my revenue model so that you're going to equip the people who are selling those media uh, kits and the media sponsor opportunities with everything that they need in order to be able to build a solid case to be able to sell those revenue spots if that's going to be more reliant of your revenue that you're going to generate so you don't lay off hundreds of more people just to add on top of that briefly that's that's the key thing that you really have to be able to show because there are still sponsors and partners out there that you might be small you might be offering something relatively new but if they're buying into the potential of what you're selling and that's good and you work you work hard for them to actually get them you know both providing value to your audience and also helping them meet their adjacent outcomes then that's the partnerships that will stay, sustain for a long time and they'll go thick thick and thin through you with you 
um, as a publishing business, you know, even SDP as we've ventured into this revenue stream and area, that's been a critical aspect for our partnerships. And so my partaking words for you, for everyone listening to this podcast is please consider the same, stay on Jeremy's point on really being proactive on what's working well. If you need to pivot a little bit, pivot and focus on the partnerships. Absolutely. It's been super fun uh, doing this teardown of TechCrunch. I hope everyone walks away with some valuable insight of things that you can modify within your own business and some uh, wisdom nuggets. Absolutely. And until next time, see you all guys later. Bye, everybody. Special thanks to our sponsors and co-hosts, Multidots, for contributing to the seven-part WordPress teardown series. Be sure to subscribe to future episodes at stateofdigitalpublishing.com and join us for a deep dive into our upcoming WordPress Publisher Success Week starting on February 26 by visiting stateofdigitalpublishing.com slash WP hyphen week. Until next time.